Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly sermon podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. We've been looking at the book of Genesis, and as we look at the book of Genesis, we've come to what I'm calling the gospel according to Abraham. And what we find is Genesis is an amazing book for helping you to understand not only how difficult a life of faith is, but how in a way, how a fallen world is a place where you can only overcome by faith. That the people in the book of Genesis who were able to see their, their, their lives succeed were people who had faith in the extraordinary promises of God. And the one who started it all off is really Abraham. And so we're looking at this particular passage from Genesis chapter 15. It's the second part of what we looked at last week. I like it when you read the scriptures with me, so I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to read this out loud with you. Would you do that with me? And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Let's see. There we go. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. I put those names just so you had to say them. <laughs> so I want, to do, I want to do three things with you this morning. The first is I want to do a, a little bit of a, a Bible, uh, not trivia, but something important in the text here. And I want to do some repetition from last week, and then I want to challenge you to live a life of faith, that life itself would not master you, but rather you would master life. So the first one is this. If you see this passage in verse 17, it talks about a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passing between the pieces of the sacrifice. This is a very powerful image. This is an image of 
an appearance of God in this realm. It connects to what happened on Mount uh, Sinai when Moses saw the, the thunder and the glory and the fire of the Lord on the mountain. It also connects in some ways to the very pillar of fire that God led the people of Israel from their captivity in Egypt to the promised land. But it's a very hard thing to translate because it is so uniquely here and no one where else. It is the glory of God. It is the terror that is the holiness of God. And it is seen in this fire. And when God shows up in fire, it is a very significant thing. And that's what happens in this covenantal experience with God. Now, the second thing is to do a little repetition from last week. If you're going to really have a life of faith, it is going to be a progressive life of faith. It is not going to be that you start out with great faith and then you just get greater and greater faith. What happens is, as life hits you, you will realize the weaknesses that you have in faith. You will find the areas where it is difficult to trust. You'll find the areas where it's easy to rely on your own wisdom and your own power. It is a pattern in every believer's life that you go through thresholds of faith. And Abraham is a great one to look at for the schematics of progressive faith. So what we see in the life of Abraham can be summed up in these four parts. God says to Abraham, I'm going to send you out. And Abraham says, where? And God says, I'll tell you later. Right now, just go. Then God says to him, I'm going to give you a land. And Abraham says, where? And God says, I'll tell you later. Just wander. Here's something I want you to understand. Catch this with me. The more implausible the situation the more definite God's promises become to Abraham. Come on, you got to hear me. The more impossible it seems, the more definite God becomes. You will not hear the fullness of the secrets of God if you will not wander with him in days of uncertainty. If you only follow God when you understand, you'll not go very deep. Third one, he says, God says to Abram, I'll give you a child. And Abraham says, how? At this point, he's 90 years old. Or he even asks him when he's 99 years old. It's like, I'm running out of time. And God says to him, I'll tell you later, but I'm 99 years old. How much later is later? I'll tell you later, he says, just wait. And then the last one, I'm going to bless all the families. Listen how, how much more definite, how bigger the promise gets. I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you. And then Abraham says, how? And God says, take your son, your only son, the son you love, and sacrifice him on the mountain for me. And God says, I'll show you later. Just trust me. Now, one thing I want you to understand from this, these are not sequential. He can go back to any of these thresholds at any time. 
You may say, hey, I had the waiting period way back. And all of a sudden, you hit 62 like me, and he goes, wait again. Now, this might be my old man stuff coming out, but it is amazing. It is amazing when I hear people talking as if they know something and they have no idea what they do not know. There are things that people say, and I'm like, you don't know how much you don't know. Now, I am an old man, so I tell them how much they don't know, <laughs> which makes me an old man. But uh, you see, it's an amazing thing how much we think, I've got great faith, when we really don't know what kind of faith we're going to have to have for the waiting time. <laughs> what kind of faith we're going to have to have for when it's time to go, or even... Sometimes you want to go and he's saying stay. You want to run from a relationship. You want to run from a situation. And he says, no, my will for you is to stay, but it's not safe here. Stay, he says. Because there's only one safe place, and that's the will of God. But you will not, you will not know how often to cross the threshold of faith. You will not know how often he'll say I'll tell you later, or I'll show you later. Just trust me right now. Now, Abraham was amazing in this. He was amazing because look what it says in Genesis 15, 6. He believed the Lord, and it counted to him as righteousness. At every threshold, whether it was go, wait, whether it was wander or trust, Abraham passed the test. Now, what I'm trying to get you to understand is if you understand faith and you pass the thresholds of faith, you will master life and life will not master you because the mastery of life is a life of faith. But here's the thing. Some of you will read and say, yeah, Mike, that's Abraham. Abraham was this great man. Abraham was this important man. I'm just an ordinary person. Do you, please hear me right now with all the authority that I have. Abraham was an ordinary man with ordinary faith, but who put his ordinary faith in the extraordinary promises of God. He was no different from you. When he got in trouble, he lied just like you do. When he got in trouble, he did his own thing just like you do. He failed over and over again. That's why he's in the scripture, because he's just like you. He's an ordinary man who had ordinary faith. You know what Jesus said? If you have faith just the size of a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, move, and it has to move. It's not extraordinary faith. Faith is not the cause. The promises of God are the cause. All you have to do is hook your faith to the extraordinary promises. And then your ordinary life becomes an overcoming life. What is, are you tracking with me? So what that means is what it teaches us in Hebrews chapter 6. Now, again, I like it when you read. I want you to read this one with me. I'd like for you to put these words in your own, in your own mouth here. Would you say it with me? For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. 
we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. So two things on this. The first is this. Romans chapter 4 says that Abraham is the prototype. Abraham is the father of the faith. And it says this. Do you want to receive what you believe you deserve? Or do you want to live in the favor and gifts of God? See, if, if you decide, no, I want justice. I want to deserve what I deserve. And I deserve better and more than I have. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So if you get what you deserve, you will not like it. It will be less. It will be terrifying. It will be terrible. But a lot of us don't realize that we need mercy. We need grace. We don't need justice. Now, I'm not saying ever that we want injustice. But we want something more than justice. We want what we don't deserve. <laughs> I taught a class at Nia College. I, I don't know why they had me do this. I hated teaching this class. But it was a class on, on, on Old Testament tools. I had to teach them the Hebrew alphabet, Hebrew vocabulary, and how to use all these different study tools. It was, I bored myself, you know? <laughs> It's just not one of those classes you can make exciting, you know, in any way, shape, or form. Because you're just doing, you're doing language, you're doing grammar, vocabulary, all that kind of stuff. And the students were, at, well, they were more bored than me. But uh, So I gave them a test, and I knew that they were going to fail. I knew that they hadn't studied. I knew they didn't know. So I said, let's pray, because I know you guys need some grace. <laughs> So there's one, one of the students who, uh, who came to church here and did some internship with us. I said, you pray. And he started praying. Oh, God, give us exactly the grade we deserve. Oh, God, if, only let us remember what we've studied. And he's going on and on. I'm like, stop, shut up. You don't want justice. You want mercy. You don't want what you deserve. You want God to reveal you know, and suddenly speak in tongues and start speaking in Hebrew, you know, and <laughs> all this kind of stuff. You see, I, so many of us think, I want justice. No, you don't. You don't want injustice. But you need mercy. You need grace. You know, God is never a God of injustice. But God is a God of grace. And God is a God of mercy. And so one of the biggest things is you and I have to decide, do we want to live like Abraham or do we want what we deserve? And you need to start hearing what's coming out of your mouth. Because many of you are cursing yourself by saying, well, I don't deserve this. And I deserve better. And I deserve... You know what self-pity does? It makes it to where you can't hear the love of God. It makes it to where you can't feel gratitude. Because you feel so sorry for yourself. It should be better. I should have more. And the interesting thing here is complaining is a form of prayer. The problem is it brings more of what you're complaining about. Because the enemy now knows how to tweak you. 
One of the hardest, one of the most difficult, unhealthy emotions that you can have is self-pity. But see, you can start living like Abram and say, wait a minute, I'm an ordinary person. I have ordinary faith, but I have extraordinary promises. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. God is a sun and shield. He gives grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it shall be done for you. See, don't sit back dwelling on what you don't have. Begin to walk in what he has promised. And remember, our God, he promises even more definitely when it seems impossible. Are you tracking with me in this? But what is it that you have to do? Well, what you have to do, this scripture says, is you have to have an anchor. Somebody gave me an anchor in the last service. Look what it says. You have to have an anchor for your soul. You have to have an anchor for your soul. What is that anchor? Well, normally the anchor is hope. Hope is how you were made. You are hope-based creatures. I love my wife's way of dealing with suffering. I love how strong she is in the face of trials because she always looks ahead with hope. I have found that my wife can do anything if she anticipates the good that is ahead. Now, I, I was always different from her. She likes to schedule she likes to have structure. She would come to me when we were first married, say, so-and-so invited us over for dinner. I said, let's wait and see if we get a better offer. <laughs> she hated that. Because <laughs> she wanted to know, what, am I, what can I look forward to? What can I expect? What can I anticipate? And I began to realize that was a spiritual and emotional generator for her soul. What is the anchor of your hope? You are a hope-based creature. You're a hope-based person. Without hope, you don't have faith. If you're a skeptic, you no longer have faith. And you put yourself by self-protection with cynicism and skepticism, you put yourself in a position where it's going to be awfully hard for the promises of God to penetrate. So we are hope-based creatures. Here's what this scripture in Hebrews 6 is saying. Whatever you put your anchor in is your truest hope. Anything but the promises of God is nothing but anchoring in, your, in water. And if you've ever been in a boat where the anchor has not struck rock, where it is not struck something that's stronger than the current, then it doesn't matter if you have an anchor, the boat just keeps on moving. The anchor must sink into something because water is always ebbing and flowing. Here's the thing most of us do. We put our anchor in our family. We put our anchor in our finances, our physical attributes. Let me just tell you, all of those are water. 
They are constantly ebbing and flowing. We are people who are surprised by reality. One of the things that wisdom is, it's the ability to navigate life well, but it's really about having competency in regards to how life really works. I see people all the time who say, I have great faith, but they don't seem to understand how reality works. They don't understand how life works. You can't have great faith without great wisdom. And without that wisdom, you're, you're basically navigating blind because you put your anchor in the wrong things. There are things in this life that are wonderful, but they're not anchor worthy. So what we begin to understand is that our hope has to go deeper than the water, has to have something heavier than heaven or earth or earth so that it can become a true spiritual and emotional generator in your life. So what is Hebrews saying? It's saying hope must be in that which is unchangeable. Again, will you believe the gift of God or will you believe your sight? Will you believe the promises of God or will you believe your circumstances? You have to have an anchor when life begins to ebb and flow. When life is not going the way you think it should. Hebrews 6, 17 says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise. So this is what God is saying. He wants you to have an anchor. He wanted to convince you today that there is hope no matter what. And he wants your hope to be anchored in something other than water. So what did he do? To show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. This is the passage that we just looked at. Is God, even with Abraham, had to anchor him in hope. Look at what it said. I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And then Abraham said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? This is why I love the scriptures. He didn't just go, thanks God, I believe you. He asked a question of God that you and I would ask. Lord, I'm 90 years old. I don't have any land. I don't have descendants. How am I to possess this land? I mean, have you never asked God how or why or what? You know what this scripture says? God doesn't get angry. God doesn't get angry when you're struggling, when you're questioning. Now, if you walk with God long enough, you realize some questions he doesn't answer. Because he's God and you're not. And sometimes it's because the answer is way too complex. Again, I remind you, any of you that have children, after a while, the why, why daddy, why daddy, why daddy becomes, I told you so. Even though you promised you would never do that when you were a kid. There are some things that someone with more maturity, more wisdom understands that the one without the maturity, without the capacity, without the capability, they cannot understand. This is where he says, I know what I'm doing for you. I know the plans I have for you, plans for your welfare, plans to prosper you. Trust me. Trust me. But here's what I love about this. God loves it when you're honest. God delights when you don't put a lid on your inner person. 
He delights when there's truth in your inner being. So when you are questioning and doubting and struggling, God loves it when you say, Lord, I'm doubting, I'm struggling. Do you know what he doesn't like? When you're lying. And the funny thing is, he knows anyway. I mean, if you're going to believe he's God, then he has to be all-knowing. So when you're lying, he knows it. I've been around people that are going, I don't doubt, I believe, I believe, I believe about to bust a blood vessel in their head. <laughs> I'm like, no, you don't. You're trying to grimly determine that you will believe when you don't. Guess what? Abraham was like, God, I'm going to trust you, but how? Come on, say it with me. How? how? I'm 90 years old, he said. I'm 99 years old. I've been waiting 99 years. How? Sounds like a reasonable question. Are you tracking with me in this? So God does something in this passage that is so powerful and so unique. And what is he doing in everything he does that, I read, that we read together? He is getting the anchor down. He's getting the anchor into something better than water, something deeper and heavier than heaven and earth. So God says to Abram, go bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abraham knew immediately what to do with these animals. He cut them in half. He arranged them in a path. Now, to us, this might sound horrible and gross, this killing of an animals and stuff. But you see, Abraham knew exactly what this meant. We live in a written contract culture. He lived in an oral contract culture. So a written contract culture, you activate an oath or you activate the contract by your signature. So I've done many, many weddings over the course of my life. And every time I do a wedding, they make these huge promises. I'm going to love you forever, richer, poorer, better, worse, till death do us part. And then afterwards, I hold them to that promise by making them sign a license, get two witnesses, I'm a third witness, and then we file it at the county clerk so that it's on file that they made these promises to each other. That's all we do in a written culture. You have a signature. And if they, if they break those promises, then you got to go to court, you got to do all kinds of things, but you use the signature as saying, here's where the promise was made. Now, can you imagine if we go back to an oral culture, there's no pens. There's no paper. So what you do is you show it through pictures. So you cut the animal in half and the other animal and the other animal. And you say to your bride, if you cheat on me, this is what will happen to you. <laughs> that would stop a lot of marriages. Uh, I like you, but not that much. <laughs> Till death do us part has a whole new smell. <laughs> but that's what Abraham lived. That's how he lived. 
That's the way they caught a covenant. That you would pass through those pieces and you would say, if I fail to keep my part of this bargain, what happened to these animals will happen to me. You talk about word being your bond. Everything is different. Look, it's not just here. It's in Jeremiah chapter 34 when God was really expressing his displeasure with the way the people of God had transgressed the covenant. Here's what he said. And the men who transgressed my covenant, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and pass between its parts. And I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their lives. Their dead bodies shall be food for the birds. You see, when you walk between the pieces, it's called cutting a covenant. And the pieces are, are there so that you say, may it be to me as it is to these animals if I am not faithful to fulfill my word and my covenant. Tracking with me so far? So, what happens next is so totally unexpected. Now, I want to talk to you just for a minute about the presence of God. You see, Abraham's experience was of the manifest presence of God. And it says something so interesting here. It says it was terrible. It was dreadful. It it covered him with fear. Do you understand? God in his grace and his love for you, he comes and is present, but subtly. If he came in the uncloaked grandeur of his presence, you would not be able to sit there. You would be on your face because you see, there would be dread upon you in the presence of his holiness for you would know all your secrets were revealed. You would know that nothing was unknown, even the things you've tried to hide. Abraham wasn't the only one who felt this. Isaiah said, woe is me. I'm a, a man of unclean lips from a people with unclean lips. And I have beheld the Lord. I am a man undone. Do you understand how much the Lord loves you? That he's cloaking his grandeur so he can come near to you but you not be afraid. He can fill you with an experience of his love and his peace and you not be decimated or devastated by it. As a matter of fact, it's an interesting thing. I I think you should always come to church or come to worship because you choose to, not because you have to. But I got to tell you something. Most of us, before we come to worship, we fight headaches. We find ourselves feeling tired We often find ourselves with every obstacle to coming. Why is it the family fights more on Sunday on the way to church than any other time? I mean, I can remember my kids, and I was the pastor going, if you don't sit down right now, and then come to church, bless you, bless you, bless you. Our solution was two cars. I go when I need to. They come whenever. 
Are you, are you hearing me? But then once you're here and you're in the presence of the Lord, his relational presence gives you vitality. You leave with more energy than you came with. Now, some of it's because you have a nice nap while I'm talking. <laughs> Just because I have one eye, I can still see you. <laughs> but that's not the case with Abraham. Abraham experienced the terrible dread of the Lord. The terrible sense of the holiness of God and the unholiness and the brokenness of Abraham. And it was so intense and the presence was so thick that Abraham couldn't stay conscious. And here's what happened. What we see in Genesis 15 is an Old Testament picture that gives us the New Testament teaching of the gospel. Abraham had asked God, he says, how can I know about you? How can I know that you will fulfill your promise? And God appears in this glorious fire. And he puts Abraham in some kind of a state where he can't move. And I, I think I understand that it's more the idea of the thickness of the presence of God was so powerfully, dreadfully there that Abraham was paralyzed, basically. And then God takes those where those, the sacrifice is laid out and the pieces are laid out and God in the fire passes through the pieces. And as he passes through the pieces, here's what he's saying. If I don't fulfill my word, if I don't do what I say, then let my immutability become, become mutation. If I don't do what I say, then let my mort immortality become mortality. God is saying, may I be cut off if I am not faithful to what I have promised. But here's the thing. This is what you got. You got to stay with me. God's not the problem. God does what he says. The problem's us. And Abraham had to surely say, God, I know you'll keep your promises, but I can't. I can't. I can't keep my word. I get in trouble. I lie. I get in trouble. I go back to my old default settings. The problem isn't God. The problem is us. You know why Abram was put into an unconscious or paralyzed state? It's because God said, I'm not going to let you walk through the pieces. I'm going to walk through the pieces for you. Here's what this means, and this is, this is the gospel. God is saying, I will give you all the benefits of the covenant, and I will take your failure to keep the covenant, and I'll take the curse upon myself. He would not let Abram have anything but the benefits, and God said, I will become the curse, not only for your sins, but for your descendants' sins. This is not a partnership. This is God taking on the curse for us. Listen. Why will you go when he says go? Because he went through the pieces. Why will you wander when you don't understand what the result will be? Because he went through the pieces. 
Why will you say, I'll wait for you even till I'm 99 years old or 100 years old? You will do it because, not because you understand, but because he went through the pieces. When he says trust and you don't know what you're trusting and you don't quite understand, you will say, I'll trust you because you went through the pieces. And what does that mean for us? Well, it's really clear in Mark chapter 15. Verse 33, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's explained to us why he was forsaken in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 8, the second path, second part. Isaiah says, he was cut off out of the land of the living stricken for the transgression of my people. Here's what you and I must understand. Is that Jesus, our God, became killable so that you and I might live forever. Here's this simple truth. Because you couldn't keep the covenant, the immortal became mortal. Because you couldn't keep the covenant, The immutable became mutable. He was cut off so that you'd never have to be cut off. He was forsaken so that you would never experience that forsakenness from his father. Here's the practicality of this. All of our problems in this life, all of our weaknesses, all of our faith issues come down to the fact that we are not trusting in the promises of God. We're not sinking our anchor into the extraordinary promises of God. Your faith doesn't cause it, but your faith hooks into it through the hope, God, you are faithful. God, your word is true. Everything else is water, but you're my rock. See, if your anchor's not all the way down, then you'll begin to think that some disobedience and some areas where you do your own thing are going to bring you more reward than God's presence. But what Abraham teaches, what the cross teaches, is that the presence of God is the fullness of joy. That with Him, even if you're wandering or you're waiting, they're right at his right hand are pleasures forever. When I think about this story of Abraham and when he asked how, because he was going to have to trust for a little while longer and he was going to have to believe even before he could see it. I think of these three things that I want to ask you today. Three things that I think are important for crossing the threshold that God is asking you to cross. The first is this, that in Jesus' day, it was really clear that the people that think they see are actually blind. And those who begin to recognize how blind they are are the ones who are actually beginning to see. It is not because you come today and say, oh, I have great faith. I can cross every threshold. It's more because you're aware, I don't have that great a faith, but I want to cross every threshold. It's only as you begin to understand 
that this second piece is this. You don't change because you will yourself to change or because in some grim determination you willfully begin to say, I'm going to do better. Friends, that doesn't work. It's just more really and truly, it's more religion. The problem is so many of us still have religion in our heads that says, if I'm really a Christian, I should perform better. If I'm really a Christian, I should be further along. And so we fake it till we make it. I heard this week someone talking about, uh, to my daughter, about this, this Muslim leader saying that, that they would never hear the gospel. They would never hear the good news of Jesus Christ because the women who were sharing the gospel wore shorts. Let me tell you something. Nobody's gone to hell because somebody else wore shorts. But that's the excuse being made because you've got to hear the principle behind this. It's almost everybody has this religious nonsense that it's all about how well you perform as to whether or not the religion is genuine. That's not the gospel. The gospel is about how well Jesus has performed and how I connect to his performance, not mine. I didn't walk through the pieces, he did. I didn't experience all of hell being set upon him and all of death coming against him. He who knew no sin became sin that I might become the righteousness of God. So the change that you're looking for isn't more willpower or willfulness. It's actually recognizing your blindness and your brokenness and saying, Holy Spirit, you be the change agent. Holy Spirit, you're the power to change. And I can trust you because you walk through the pieces. See, it may be that right now all hell is being thrown against you where you feel like it's not going well, it's not going to be easy, it's going to be very difficult. I don't know how it's, going to be, how it's going to turn out. Well, all hell was thrown at Jesus, and he stayed. That darkness, it may seem like six hours to us, it was an eternity for Jesus. Forsaken, God made killable, he stayed. And he stayed for you so that your anchor could go deeper than the water. And it could go into the very one who blew the doors out the backside of death so that you walk right through it. And your hope isn't just for tomorrow, but forever. Will you stand with me as we close? I really get the sense this morning that I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. And it's interesting to me that this is the direction that the, the Lord has kind of led me in because there was so much to this message. But really, I feel like what the Lord wants to say is that He wants to bless you this morning to be the people that He desires and designed you to be. So if you feel comfortable, would you just open up your hands with me to receive a blessing? I bless you to be a people of his presence. I bless you to be a people of hope. 
I bless you to be a people who are willing to look at the places in your life where you hope in something else, to face it unashamed and to hand it over to him. I bless you to know that you do not have to hope in your own ability, but that you can hope in the fulfilled promises of our God. I bless you to be a people whose anchor goes deep into the promises of God. I bless you to know that the Father always keeps his promises. I bless you to know that it has always been his desire that you would come to him just as you are and tell him that he is your only hope. I bless you to know that he can take anything you have to offer. So Father, we thank you for your great love. We thank you that you are a father who always keeps his word. We thank you that you are a father who would send his son to die on our behalf. That you give us pictures of what this actually looks like. And so Father, today we say that we wanna be a people who have an anchor so deep in your promises, that we can face whatever you're asking us to face. That when you tell us to go, we will go. When you tell us to wander, we will wander. When you tell us to wait, we will wait. When you tell us to trust you, we will trust you. To some of you this morning, he might be saying, I'll show you later. I bless you to know that he will fulfill his promises. So Father, we give you all the glory and all the honor. We thank you for your word and for your great plan. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.